incident that took place last week. I was going to let somebody, I was going to meet somebody and haul dirt with somebody, and he was going to borrow my trailer. And, uh, and so I was driving here, you know, in my work clothes and had my trailer and um, getting ready to meet him from the church and, and uh, got this phone call that somebody that's, um, that was actually with me, even through Deaver Connor, my original church all the way here, so had been with me for, you know, for many, many years, walked with me in, in life, you know, and part of the church family and said that she had pneumonia and she's in intensive care in the hospital. And so I pulled in to do the dirt and, and I looked at this person I was going to work at dirt with which is Gordon right here, and I said, you know, there's somebody, I can't do it today, there's somebody in the hospital, I just, I just really need to go, I really need to go see, and, um, and uh, he said to me, he's like, you know, I want you to go see me when I'm in the intensive care too, so get out of here and, and go, and, uh, and there's just something about an honor to be with people walking through life in difficult times. And I just want to say, it's an honor for me to be able to be able to walk with you and even to walk with each other in the process of, of walking through this, this crazy life that we live in. So I just want to say that from the depths of my soul that I do, <laughs> I, 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 I love you. And walking through life with you is, is amazing. The body is absolutely amazing. Now, I said that with really nice things, but... Um, uh, you're going to have to put up with me a little bit, too, because every once in a while I say something that I stick my foot in my mouth, you know, just another thing. You know, uh, last week I talked about meniscus surgery, and uh, and after I had my meniscus surgery, you know, I was talking to the doctor, and the doctor says, oh, no, don't worry, arthritis won't set in for 25 years. And uh, I was thinking, oh, I started doing some math, you know, oh, you really don't care because in 25 years I'll be 85% dead anyway. <laughs> well, what happened is that everybody heard that and everybody did the math They're like, well, I'm 70 years old. Am I 85% dead? <laughs> I think every, I got a text and, and he said, I really like the part in your sermon that says, Kings, take, 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 take. The thing that I took home is that I'm 85% dead. <laughs> so thank you so much for being patient with me, but don't worry I'm going to fix that. This is true, and this is biblical, and this is fact, and I believe it to the core of my heart. When you are 100% dead, you're 1,000% alive, if you are a believer. <laughs> so if there's a 20-year-old and a 70-year-old, <laughs> you're more closer to being alive than they are, I mean, from that perspective. So <laughs> did I fix it? Maybe, I don't know. I, I won't get into it any, anymore. Oh, thank you guys so much for putting on me. It's so awesome. Uh, thank you for letting me open this word up in front of you too. This is an honor, a privilege, and a pleasure. It carries so much beauty, so much power. And to come up here every single week and talk about it is just is absolutely amazing. We're in uh, the story of Saul. We're in the series of Saul as we're working through First uh, Samuel. And just to let you know that today, I just want to give you an introduction to who Saul is. Now, there's three chapters that kind of give you an introduction of, you know, the first part of Saul's life. And it just gives detailed stories that when you look at it, it's like, why is that whole story in the Bible? <laughs> it's kind of a, a weird story. I mean, if you guys read the three chapters that, you know, we're going to work on tonight, you would have questions like, these are kind of just quirky, and why is it taking up so much space of the Bible, and why is there so much detail, and, and weird detail, and, and, and those things, and we're going to travel through these three chapters really quickly. Um, now, I'm going to read a lot. It's not the three chapters, but it's still the process of working through these three chapters to introduce you to Saul. 
the way that God wanted Saul introduced to the world the first part of his life. Because if it's in the Bible, that's the way God wanted it. He wanted to introduce Saul to you. And the process of doing it is found in these three chapters in the first part of his life. So when we're looking through introduction of, of who Saul is, um, just want to put it in the back of our mind and ask the question, what does God want from Saul? <laughs> You'll understand what I'm talking about when we get into it. What does God want from Saul? And then whatever God wants from Saul is exactly what God wants from me. So when we look at Saul, you're going to see a really good guy today. <laughs> you really are. You're going to see a, a really good guy. But if you ever know the whole story of Saul, towards the end of his life, he's going to commit atrocities. It's going to be really ugly. But today you're going to see a really good guy on the pages. So as you're seeing this good guy, ask the question, what does God really want from Saul? Whatever he wants from Saul, he wants from me as well. We'll start off in chapter 9. Number one in our notes, Saul had a good pedigree. This is important in America. When you want a job, what do you do? You put down your resume to say, here's my pedigree. Here's my qualifications. Here's my experience. This is who I am. You want to hire me. You want to sell yourself. Verse 1, there's a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Becherath, the son of Phia, a Benjamite, a man of wealth. Who is this guy named Kish? Kish is Saul's dad. You're going to see that in the next passage. Remember, I've mentioned this before, is that if you want a good resume back in the ancient days and in Scripture, it's all about heritage. It's all about who you're born to. Because if you're born into wealth, you're going to carry the wealth as long as you're walking. If you're born in a good bloodline, you're going to carry a position in life because you're born on a good bloodline. If you're born with a good reputation, a family that had a good reputation, you're going to be a person that's supposed to be carrying that reputation and be looked up as that reputation. We see this guy named Kish, which is Saul's father, is a man of wealth. Introduces him to him before it even gets to Saul. Number two, Saul is impressive in his appearance. Tall, handsome, he's charismatic. It's interesting that the, these are the first words on Scripture about Saul. And what does Scripture say about Saul? This is what they says. And Kish, and he, Kish, had a son whose name was Saul. A handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. For his shoulders upward, he was taller than any other people. He was taller than anybody. In other words, he stood out from everybody else. Stood out as a man who carried strength, who carried structure, who carried power. That's who Saul was. Number three, Saul was trustworthy, diligent, steadfast, and carried out his employment well. Just working through chapter 9, we'll spend a lot of time in chapter 9. We'll go through 10 and 11 really quickly. But this chapter 9 um, is a story about donkeys. <laughs> you know, just like I said, it's kinda, it kind of gets weird. It's Kish, the father of Saul, lost donkeys, and he sent Saul out to go look for them. But through this process of Saul going to look for the donkeys, you're going to learn a lot about Saul. You're going to learn about who he is. Just watch who he is. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. So Kish said to his son, Take one of the young men with you and arise and go and look for the donkeys. And he passed through the hill country of Ephraim 
and passed through the land of Shalish, but they did not find him there. And they passed through the land of Shalem, but they were not there. Then they passed through the land of Benjamin, but they did not find them. You know, you look at these passages and it's like, oh, he's going from here, he's going from here, he's going from here. You know, I wonder what kind of car he's driving. <laughs> no, he's not driving a car. Now, I went to Israel, and we went to Israel. The thing that surprised me is it took forever to get around Israel. You know, you got see a galley? Well, that's, a, that's, a, that's a long drive. Okay, we kept on driving. They walked. <laughs> so you can see the persistence in Saul is that I'm going to find these donkeys for my dad, and it's going to happen. He was diligent. He was steadfast. He was trustworthy. He's working on his employment well. I've been given a task. I'm going to make sure that task is completed. Number four, Saul was humble, respectful young man, indicating that his parents trained him well. Continue in the passage in verse five. When they came to the land of Zuf, Saul said to his servants who was with him, come, let us go, lest my father cease to care about the donkeys and become anxious about me. Saul wasn't thinking about himself. Who was he thinking about? He's thinking about his father at home. Here he is traveling through all these lands, trying to find these donkeys. And the person that's on his mind is, I'm trying to get these donkeys for my dad. And in the process of doing this, my blood, sweat, and tears, I'm still concerned that my dad might get anxious about me. And that's what's going through his mind. He's a good guy. Humble, respectful, young man, indicating that his parents trained him well in regards to being concerned about others rather than himself. So just to continue this story, he's about ready to go home. As he's about ready to go home, chapter 6, or verse 6, takes place. Before we get into 6, point 5 is Saul was being led by God, guided step by step. He doesn't go home. He actually goes somewhere else. Who led him there? Verse 6. But he said to him, Behold, there is a man of God in the city, and he is a man who is held in honor. All that he says come true. I'll just give you a hint. That man is Samuel. And he just says, hey, Saul, I know you're looking for donkeys out here and they're your dad's donkeys, but there's this guy that is a man of honor and everything that he says is true. And so Saul's response to that was, so now let us go see that man. Saul wanted to follow this man of God. There's a man of God that says something. I want to know what this man of God has to say as he's on his field looking for the donkeys. Perhaps he can tell us the way we should go. Maybe the way we should go to find the donkeys. But Saul is ready to listen to that man of God. And whatever that man of God says, he's ready to respond to this man. And Saul said to his servant, but if we go, what can we bring this man? For the bread in our sacks is gone. There's no present to bring the man of God. What do we have? Here Saul is thinking, we're going to go see this man of God. We can't bring him something empty-handed. Saul wants to bless this man of God. The servant answered Saul, here, I have with me a quarter of shekel of silver, and I'll give it to the man of God to tell us our way. Saul's completely ready to follow God's direction wherever this man of God says. Whatever this man of God says, Saul's, Saul's ready to find it. Verse 9, formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he said, come, let us go to a seer, for today's prophet was formerly called a seer. They use the word seer, but it's a prophet. And who is it? Samuel doesn't say it yet, but you'll see it here in a second. 
And Saul said to his servant, Well said, come, let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. As they went up to the hill country of the city, they met young women out to draw water and said to them, Is the seer, the prophet, here? They answered, He is. Behold, he is just ahead of you. Hurry, he has come just now to the city, because the people have a sacrifice today on a high place. As soon as you enter the city, you'll find him. Before he goes up to the high place to eat, for the people will not eat till he comes, since he is blessed, since he must bless the sacrifice. After those who are invited will eat. Now go up, for you will meet him immediately. So they went up to the city. As they were entering the city, they saw the man of God, Samuel, coming out towards them on his way up to the high place. This is interesting. He's just looking for donkeys. The process is looking for donkeys. There's so many details. And, and through all these details, Saul's being led by something. Who's he being led by? What direction is he being pushed to? He's ready to embrace this seer, this prophet, this man of God with what he says just because of the concept that he heard that there is a man of God that has the truth. So he's just walking through this narrative, walking through this story. But he's following this passion that God has. He's following this little voice that's in an ear that, that God has for him somewhere. He's just moving. Number six, Saul was chosen by God to be king. Now watch what this man of God does. Watch what Samuel does. Now the days before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, tomorrow, about this time, I will send to you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall appoint him to be a prince over my people of Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, here is the man whom I spoke to you. He, it is, who shall restrain my people. Then Saul approached Samuel at the gate and said, tell me where is the house of the seer? Where is the house of this prophet? Samuel answered, Saul, I am the seer. I am the prophet. Go up before me to this high place, for today you shall eat with me. And in the morning I will let you go and will tell you all that is on my mind. As for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not set your mind on them anymore, for they have been found. And for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and for all your father's house? What did all that say? Samuel says, the donkeys are found. Don't worry about them anymore. But for Israel, <laughs> the answer has been found. It's you. You're going to be their king. Chosen by God. Through all these details, because nobody else can manage these details. You cannot take these details and, and put them together. What is really interesting is, is that we're going to hear a man named David who is after God's own heart. And he doesn't even get the details that we're getting in regards to Saul. So God is wanting us to know these details of who is putting Saul in. Number seven, the word of the Lord was made known to Saul. 
Verse 27. As they're going down the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, tell the servant to pass on before us. And when he has passed on, stop here yourself for a while that I may make known to you the word of God. The people in this world are resistant to the words of God. God almost has to open up their heart to practically see the beautiful words of God. And it was made known to Saul according to that passage. Number eight, Saul was anointed by God. 1 Samuel 10.1, moving into a different chapter. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and, you will, and he will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be the sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be the prince of this heritage. Very clear, the Lord has anointed you to be the prince of this heritage. Number nine, the spirit of the Lord rushed upon Saul. He then prophesied and walked alongside God. Now those who uh, know the story of Saul is starting to wonder here, you know, what's, what's going on here? And it's interesting when you start studying Saul, it's going to put a lot of questions on the table. I mean, some of the questions that you're going to get is, do you get salvation and, and lose salvation? Or the question is, is Saul saved? I mean, look at this passage here. Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you and you'll prophesy with them and turn into another man. Does Saul, he's going to commit atrocities in the future. We're not talking about that yet. But should Saul be a person that goes into the list of the prophets? According to this verse, it says that he prophesied. Should he go into the list of the prophets? A lot of questions are going to be coming up as we're walking through this story of Saul. And with him, he turned him into another man. That sounds like conversion, doesn't it? <laughs> Saul converted? Was Saul not converted? I, I mean, there's a lot of questions that are starting to, to fuel as you're looking at this. And I want to go back to our question. What does God want from me? What does God want from Saul? Because I mean, if you look, through, you look through the notes, there's some really good things that are taking place. And there's some really good things that are happening. Number 10, Saul was a great leader. He was a strong soldier. In those days, Israel was, was bound on the north and also on the west. Uh, Philistines on one side and the Ammonites on the other side. They were oppressed, depressed. They couldn't move. They were locked in. These large armies on both sides. God wanted to deliver his people. And we even saw it in the notes that, I mean, in the passages that we read that that God is choosing him to fight the Philistines. God's going to choose him to fight the Ammonites. The Ammonites are putting pressure on, and Saul needs to take action. Does he have the people behind him to take action? You know, he's, he's anointed, you know, by God, but does he really have the people? Does he really have the authority? Well, as the war starts to advance his way with the Ammonites, guess what took place? Saul took a leadership position. He grabbed two oxen, he cut them in half, broke them into pieces, and sent them across God's people and says, you show up here behind me, Saul, 
because the Ammonites have got to be destroyed. Guess how many people showed up? 330,000 people said, we're behind you, Saul. We're behind you, Saul. And then what you see is you see a leader taking that army into the Ammonites and having a massive defeat, scattering them, (laughs) wiping them out. Massive defeat. And you also see in the passage as you read it, that the Holy Spirit, God rushed upon Saul as a process had taken place. Does God rush upon unbelievers? Does God rush upon people that are not his? I mean, there's a lot of questions that are coming up. 11, Saul was liked by the people. After that war was, was over, uh, there was some, you know, dissension about Saul being king. I mean, we saw it last week, you know, even with Samuel. <laughs> you, you, you don't want a king. And there was some, there is some dissension about this king coming in. And we're going to talk more about this dissension next week. Um, but there's people that were criticizing it. After that battle with the Ammonites in chapter 11, you see this. Then the people said to Samuel, who is it that said, shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men that we may put them to death. <laughs> Who didn't want Saul? Saul, this is the people. This is how the people work. Who did not want this guy? Who did not want Saul? Anybody that didn't want him should be put to death. As you walk through the passage, you see Saul stand up and said, no, no, no. Nobody's going to be put to death. We're going to continue to move forward. Look in this, I don't know where you see, but he looks good. When you see that he looks good, ask the question. If he's not, what does God want from him? If Saul's not, because every time we hear the word Saul, you know, we think, oh, he's a bad guy. Well, if you think he's a bad guy, let me ask you a question. What does God want from him? What does God want from him, because the answer of what God wants from Saul is just the same question that God wants from us. The core thing that God wants from an individual. Number 12 is the answer. God wants his heart, Saul's heart, and my heart connected to him. He wants Saul's heart connected to God's heart. God wants my heart connected to his heart. Now, there's so much behavior that's out there. I mean, behavior is everywhere. The looks is out there. The accomplishments, the success, everything is out there. But God's looking at something different. He's looking past everything and he's asking the questions. Are our hearts connected? And that's the question that he's asked. Isaiah 66, one through two. And, and when you look at the gospel, you know, we say the gospel all the time. We'll say the gospel again right after this Old Testament passage. But here's an Old Testament passage that just, just, just explodes the gospel. Isaiah 66, one, two says this. Thus saith the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What's God saying? <laughs> he's saying, I'm the Lord. Heaven is my throne earth is my footstool, I am big. What is the house that you would build for me? You can't. And what is the place of my rest? 
All these things my hand has made. And so all these things come to be, declares the Lord. And then he says a powerful message about the gospel. But this is the one to whom I look. God looks through this eyes. He, who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. What is contrite? Contrite is it's just broken. You know, when you look at salvation, what's the first step of being saved? First step of being saved is say, I'm a sinner. I'm broken. Because as soon as you realize that you're a broken person, you understand your need. I am a broken sinner, and I'm in need of a Savior. But Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus rose, and he's my answer. So when you look at these two heartbeats, I mean, the, when you, you listen to the heartbeat, it goes boom, 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 boom. I mean, that's, I mean, I'm not a doctor or physician, but I think that's what it does. It's almost like broken spirit, and tremble at his word. Broken spirit, tremble at his word. Broken spirit, and tremble at his word. There's not a lot of behavior that is happening inside of that. It's just the pounding of a, a heart. And God is saying, I'm observing the pounding of people's heart. Are they broken? And are they trembling at my word? What does trembling at my word mean? Are they broken and do they give a rip? That's what it means. <laughs> are people broken about what they have done and their sin? And do they really give a rip? Give a rip about what? Give a rip about what God cares about. Do we really give a rip about God's will? Do we really give a rip about God's word? Do we really give a rip about God's desires? Do we really give a rip about God's love? I mean, there's a heartbeat that breaks, and if it breaks, you give a rip. That's just what happens. I mean, that's, that's the piece of it. God brings us a revelation of who we are, and when we see who we are, nothing comes out but a sinner. It shatters every single one of us. I am nothing and I've earned nothing. And I should receive damnation at the core of its being because of who I am. But God, being rich in mercy, has made me alive in Christ. And I have his words that say it. And I have his words that guide me. His words that direct me. And I want to love the thing that God loves. I want to hate the thing that God hates. I want to go to the places that God goes you see, that's, that's a power of conversion. And God's, and Isaiah is saying, this is the people that I'm looking down with a broken heart, one who trembles at my word, one who really gives a rip about what I give a rip about. Give a rip about unsaved people. Do you give a rip about unsaved people? I give a rip about my ministry going across the world, God's ministry going across the world. Do we give a rip about God's ministry going across the world? I give a rip about prayer. Do we give a rip about prayer? I give a, God gives a rip about his word. Do we give a rip about his word? If we're broken, we do. First Samuel 16 says, for the Lord sees, not as man sees. Man looks at this, this outward appearance but the Lord looks at the heart. 
Man looks at his stature. Man looks at his success. Man looks at his power. And if he does it, God must be behind it. It's not what God looks at. God's saying, I'm looking at this heart. I'm looking at this heart broken. Do they give a rip about me and my will? This will lead us to ask questions about Saul. Um, because there's going to be a whole life of Saul, and these are appropriate questions to ask as we continue the story of Saul. 13, will Saul's heart stand the test of prosperity? Think about this. I am broken, and you are my God. That's, that's, what, that's what God looks at. I am broken, and you are my God. Broken says you are not prosperous. That's what it said. Broken says you are not prosperous. Tremble at his word says you're, not, you're desperate. I mean, see, this, is, this is Christianity. I'm broken and I tremble at his word because I know who I am and I know who God is. I don't call the shots. He does. But when we hear this word prosperity, we can often go, you know, he must be talking to the person sitting next to me in church <laughs> because prosperity is not me. It's somebody else you're referring to. So sure glad I'm not prosperous and tempted to be prosperous. The question is, do you live in America? You live in America. Did you know that 10% of the poorest people in America is 85% of the richest people in the world, if you put it in regards not into money, but put it in regards to freedom, put it in regards to decision, put it into regards of, of what you have and what you own as an individual, that's huge in the sense of living in America. The 10%, the 10% of the lowest people in America, the, the, the least prosperous people in America, is richer than the 20th highest percent in Russia. Did you know that? Just because it's we're prosperous in America. And how do you speak when you're prosperous? This is how you speak when you're prosperous. <laughs> we figured it out. God's word is wrong. Evolution is correct. Because we got the mind for it. That's how you speak when you're prosperous. You know, I don't really want God, and the reason why I don't want God is because I don't understand how he could be suffering in the world. And as a result of suffering in the world, throw him away. That's how you speak when you're prosperous. In other words, he's not God. I'm, I'm God. And, you know, God didn't answer my prayer, so I'm not going to choose him. Like, I, don't, I don't feel God. He's not going to reveal himself to me. I don't want nothing with God. I mean, this is words of, of prosperity. He's not God. I am. And I'm going to evaluate him and see what he's going to do. Well, if he's God, he can say whatever he wants. <laughs> you might not like it. When you're prosperous, you start fighting what he says. You start fighting what he does. When you're prosperous and you're entitled, you start arguing with him and saying, yeah, I'll, I'll see if I choose you or not. We'll see if we don't choose you or not. It's hard to bow a knee when you're entitled. Hard to bow a knee when you think you can find an answer better than him. 
Will Saul's heart stand the test of prosperity? Will the American heart stand the test of prosperity? 14, will Saul's heart stand the test of position? (laughs) He's going to be the king. What's the definition of a king? King is ruler. King is, I am in charge. The king bows his knee to nobody. But God says, upon this person I look, the one who is contrite in spirit, broke and trembles at my word. Will Saul's heart be able to take this position? 15, will Saul's heart stand the test of power? Power is going to be granted (laughs) to him. And it's going to flash upon him. And when you carry a massive amount of power in the world, being broken and saying your need is, uh, it's going to be a temptation. It's not going to be easy. And it's not going to be easy for Saul. And the true heart that is inside of him is going to show in the positions and the things that are coming his way. His heart's going to come up. Just like our heart comes up. Our heart comes up when there's trials. Our heart comes up when there's prosperity. Our heart comes up when there's pain. Our heart always comes up, not in the time we want it to, but when something large and huge happens, our hearts come up. What does it say? What Saul's going to say. 16, will Saul's heart stand the test of success? We said a lot of, said a lot of Bible words in there when we were talking about Saul. And the spirit rushed upon Saul and God anointed Saul and Saul prophesied. Oh my goodness. Listen to those, the spiritual words that are given out there. You know, I um, work with pastors and I work with churches, um, uh, you know, across, you know, um, our area, but also even across the, the world in regards to even Africa and those things. And, but whenever our pastors, you know, kind of get together and we, we kind of meet together, um, there's temptations out there and there's things that, that we think about. And one thing that we, we often ask each other, kind of, we don't just come right out and ask of each other really fast, but we kind of just kind of go around the side to ask it is, how big's your church? <laughs> I want to know who I'm talking to. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not you know, putting it down, but there's just a, there's a piece of that success that is out there. Upon this, I look, a man who is contrite in spirit and trembles at a word. We can look at this world and say, oh, God's blessing that and God's blessing that. You know, God's doing this and God's doing this and God's doing this. Why? Because it's big. Because it's successful. Because it's huge. But upon this that I look past all of it, at the heart, and the one who trembles at my word. 17, will Saul's heart stand the test of fame? Fame says, I'm somebody. Fame says I stand out. Fame says I'm above average. Fame says the world has seen me. Fame as in Hollywood, and Hollywood does not pass the test. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Hollywood's hearts are revealed. I mean, the whole compass of it. 
Disneyland, their, all their hearts are all of a sudden come to the surface. Why? Because fame is just completely on their mind. It's coming out of their system and out of their heart. Just to close, 18, Satan's sharpest blade destroys the heart. Satan's sharpest blade to destroy the heart is not pain and suffering, but prosperity, position, power, success, and fame. It is what destroyed Lucifer. It is also what destroyed Adam. It is what destroyed Eve. I want to be like God. The challenge for us today is ask the question, is my heart broken? And do I give a rip about what God gives a rip about? And upon that person, God is going to look. And you'll be tested every day of your life. And your heart will rise. And every time it arises, still ask that question. God, we just thank you for not looking upon success. For not looking upon fame for not looking upon prosperity and saving us as a result of those aspects. Because so many of us would fail. Me, number one. Thank you, God, for just asking us to have a broken spirit about our sin and tremble at your word. Because we can all do that. God, as we're tested, I just pray that as our heart arises, that we rightfully and truthfully evaluate ourselves and see where our heart stands. We love you, God. In Christ's name, amen.